Michael, what have you done? I was trying to help people. But the cure. It's a curse. Michael. I have powers that can only be described as superhuman. But there's a cost. Now, I face a choice to hunt and consume blood or die. We all have monsters within us. It's up to us to control it. What if I can't? Michael Morbius. You've been given a gift. Not exactly. Time to let go of what you used to be. Discover who you're meant to be. All our lives we've lived with death. Why shouldn't they know what it feels like for a change? Just accept who you are. The bad guy. Morbius. Holy water? Really? Yeah. You ever see Lost Boys? Story of my life. Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 134th episode of Happiness and Darkness, a superhero movie podcast. We discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and with me today are two great guest co-hosts. On one side, Mr. Devin Smith. Hey, Devin, how are you today? Oh, I'm all right. Yep, I am just enjoying the nice sunny weather, so... Awesome. Great that you have some nice weather to enjoy for sure. And on the other, Mr. Kelly Pippin. Hey, Kelly, how are you? Oh, doing good, Nick. And I, I find it very fascinating that you keep track of how many times we've, we've you've done this. And we're on the 134th. I didn't realize there was 134 different movies to review when it came to this stuff. But I guess, you know, when you get to digging, there's a lot of them. So. Yes, indeed. And believe you me, as we wait for new movies, I have done a lot of digging and folks will realize this. So, guys, today we are discussing Morbius from 2022, directed by Daniel Espinoza, who our listeners might know from such movies as Safe House, Child 44 and Life. This is his first time, obviously, in the superhero genre. This film was written by Matt Sazama and Buck Sharpless, while the music was by John Ekstrand. And to put it into today's money, as it did come out, it, this year, it did cost $75 million. We obviously don't have the returns yet because it just came out, so I guess we'll see how it does. But uh, starting with first impressions, uh, Kelly, actually, starting with you, what were your general impressions on Morbius, and how well did you know this character, you know, from your readings of Marvel and what have you? So, I mean, Morbius, obviously, is one of Spider-Man's, you know, major enemies in mm -hmm. the comics. Um, he's also one of Doctor Strange's enemies. You know, there's a, he kind of fits into what's going on in the Marvel verse right now, and they, they, that's why they chose to go ahead and do this right now. I mean, my initial stuff on this was, you know, usually I come out of a movie like excited. This one, it was just kind of like, eh, okay. Um, not that you know, visually everything was pretty stunning. I mean, you know, it really, I felt like they did a really good job you know, getting the effects in my mind around what, you know, how vampire would move, things like that. But it was kind of slow. I mean, and, you know, for all the other Marvel entries and everything that's been going on, I felt like Morbius was a little bit slow. Granted, this is the Sony-verse, not the Marvel-verse. Mm -hmm. um, but I did feel like it was just a little... It 
it took us a while to get where we needed to be, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, don't get me wrong. I mean, I felt like it was a, a great origin story and, you know, something to get started with. I just felt like we spent more too much time on that, maybe, and not enough time elsewhere. And we'll get to all that, you know, as we discuss it. But initial impressions, I like the movie. It's slow. <laughs> that was my initial fair and uh, you know since i know that you are you have consumed numerous uh, movies you know of multiple genres when it actually comes to the vampire genre are you a fan of uh, the vampire movies or vampire movies in general um as long as you don't count twilight in that i think we're good okay. um i just um you know i i really enjoyed you know like blade obviously you know mm -hmm. you enjoy that it's a it's a vampire movie um i did enjoy a lot of people didn't like it queen of the damned okay i like that movie interview with a vampire um i liked a lot of the movies that you know i you can even go back to the b movies of the 70s like blackula and mm -hmm. um a lot of that stuff i've always enjoyed you know werewolves you know vampires you know things like that not a huge fan of zombies but like vampires werewolves you, you put them you know the underworld movies you put that stuff in a movie, I'll go watch it, you know? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. The Howling, you know, when I was a kid, that terrified the crap out of me. Uh, but, yeah, I I enjoy movies like that. Oh, uh, great stuff indeed. Yeah, because there were quite a few references or obviously vampire references within this film. So I was obviously wondering if, uh, you know, that because of that. And, uh, Devin, what did you make of this one? Well, I'm right there with Kelly, honestly. I mm. feel like um, fantastic story. And honestly, I think that they could do a lot more with this if they would go more in detail. And maybe uh, there's probably going to be sequels anyways. But um, the only issue that I have, again, is incredibly slow to get to the ending payoff result. And if let's say a person doesn't have a lot of patience, they may not want to set through this entire film because they may get up, you know, get something to eat or pause it and get something to drink. But like when you're at the theater, like you can't really just, you know, bam, pause the movie because that's going to make everybody mad. So like, I feel like this is actually, it's probably one of the better vampire films I've seen in probably like the last decade, I want to say. Okay. Um, and I am actually a huge vampire fan. I mean, I grew up with, like, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of the classic Hammer films, um, which is big in England, obviously. And, um, you know, I, I respect Underworld, Blade, all that stuff. I love all that stuff. Twilight, not really my my cup of tea. I got to be honest, that was more for, like, 12-year-old girls. I'm not really into that. Um, but, you know, I feel like this film, honestly, you know, is not too terrible. It's just, it gets really slow at times and it gets to a point to where can we speed it up a little bit? You know, mm. that's, that's just what I would say. Well, totally, totally fair. I mean, I am also quite the consumer of uh, vampire movies, and it's interesting that you brought up uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula there, um, there Devin, because that's actually one of my all-time favorite vampire movies. I mean, granted that it's more of a romance, if you will, with vampires in it to a certain extent, because obviously their Coppola takes um, Bram Stoker's story and makes it 
very much more of uh, he focuses a lot on the romantic sides of the of the tale if you will and i did see some of that in this film also of course there's there's clearly there's some there's a homage to nosferatu more nosferatu because it was find out that the ship that michael is on is called the Murnau, so which was of course the name yeah. of the director who directed nosferatu so I'm like, yeah maybe a little bit on the nose but okay i'll, I'll take it and uh, <laughs> And even some scenes are very reminiscent of the store of things that happen in Dracula, i.e. Michael becomes, you know, should we say, does his first, gets his first taste of blood literally on a ship, which is what happens as well in Dracula when Dracula is being transported from Transylvania to England. And obviously he, um, Dracula destroys the whole crew as the, as the ship is going to England. So I, I like the parallels with that, uh, with, this, with the original story. I will say, yes, I very much enjoyed this film. But more than slow, it was very paint by numbers in the sense that I know there's only so much you can do with a superhero movie, but you can get creative. I think, for example, the most creative one, as heavy as it might have been, was Eternals. Eternals, I think, really took the superhero genre and did something very different, very new, more nuanced, more layered. And here it was very much Superhero modern movie 101. There's a good guy. There's a bad guy. There's a romantic interest. The uh, the two characters, the um, the good guy and the bad guy, are literally opposites of the same coin. And so it was rather. I found it rather predictable. That was my problem with this film. It reminded me, to a certain extent, of what ha- what we saw in Iron Man, but not done as well. In the sense that you have the good guy and then you have the right. bad guy, and that's what happens. So. That I was not too happy with because, like, okay, I already know what's going to happen after five minutes. I kind of knew what was going to happen. So that kind of upset me, but I get there's only so much you can do. Other than that, I thought it was the visuals were great. I think some of the performances were excellent, and I'm actually going to be highlighting a few in particular. But yeah, the runtime, I thought I didn't feel the runtime too much. It was fine with me. I actually would have been happy had it gone on a little bit longer. I don't know if it was uh, maybe because recently seeing Batman in theaters and loving how that runtime was was managed. I know this, I think this ran roughly almost two and a half hours. And yeah, I, I, mean, I didn't feel the runtime, I enjoyed it. So uh, it's good, but it's definitely not great. And But I think it does have potential. So I guess we'll see what happens when it comes to sequels. So let's deeper dive into our movie, guys, starting with our titular character, himself mr jared leto as michael morbius so devin what did you make of michael well i would say that the character definitely is not boring by any means Mm -hmm. um and i really enjoy that they kind of incorporate like you said like some of the other vampire films and some of like the nostalgia part of it and i feel like his character is very similar to Bram Stoker's Dracula, like, like, like you're saying. And I love just the storytelling. And I don't really have any complaints about Michael, honestly. I feel like that was a good person for that character. Um, again, not really fond of that particular actor, though. But I do think that he did a great job in this film. Okay, so, so J- you've never been a big Jared Leto fan. Okay, that's fair. Um, not really, no. Okay, totally, totally fair. I mean, I know that uh, superhero fans had been a little bit burnt by him in his role as the Joker in Suicide Squad, so I can understand that, uh, you know. Or, I mean, I, and now I have to ask, what do you think of 30 Seconds to Mars? What do you think of his band? 
<laughs> okay. Um, first album good, mm-hmm. but past that, did not listen to a single thing that they produced because honestly, I don't know. Like after I heard the first album, I was like, um, okay, I get it, and now I understand why maybe the girls go nuts for him. Mm-hmm. But as a musician, to me, it's nothing that I haven't heard before. So like. I understand why women are obsessed with him and they think he's a good looking dude. But honestly, I got to be honest, like his other acting, not fan of, but this movie, I thought he actually did a decent job in. That's exactly what I focused. I thought to myself, this part almost seems written for Jared Leto. Seeing the way he is, the way he carries himself and stuff. So I'm like, this, you know, he doesn't even almost have to show up. He just kind of has to do do what he does because he can do this. And the, uh, Kelly, what did you make of Michael Morbius? Um, I mean, I like the character. I think they painted him a little too much as a goody two-shoes in this. Hmm. Um, because I feel like in the comics, he was a little more willing to push the envelope, I guess you'd say. So he pushed the envelope in the science side of things. But I, the morality side of things, I think they painted him pretty black and white. I don't think they really gave him that... Um, little more of an edge that he has in the comics i guess i should say mm. but i mean i get it they're trying to paint the goodbye good guy bad guy kind of thing um you know and that that's definitely a you know a given in this movie i never have and i'll be honest been a huge jared leto fan um i think uh um after the well the joker just really kind of killed me to be honest with you <laughs> but i've never been a huge jared leto fan in the first place i mean he won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for Dallas Buyers Club. Yep. And, you know, the guy can act. That's There's no question of that. But um, I feel like there's certain niche things that he does well, and then there's other things that he tries to go outside of that box and it doesn't work. Um, but uh, in this movie, I think it worked. I think he's got the downtrodden kind of attitude that it took to play Morbius um, in, in this situation, you know, being having this disease and and – you know, being, you know, knowing that you have a finite amount of time before your life is over and you know, it's coming. And, and so, you know, playing that part, I think he, I think he really, uh, I think he really, you know, got that. And I mean, you know, his counterpart, and I'm sure we'll get to that, you know, made it more more interesting, so to speak. Um, Mm. Because there's a lot of, there's no mystery about Morbius, but his, his best friend, um there's there's a lot of unanswered questions i mean if you're smart you know what they are um but you know there's a lot of unanswered questions behind that whole situation but i'm sure we're going to get to that part but yeah as far as michael morbius goes i think leto did a really good job this time around um like i said not his biggest fan so for me to say that's kind of a cool thing so take that mr leto and Appreciate you not completely, totally destroying this movie. I really do. So <laughs> I hear, and and actually, you know, speaking actually of which, uh, when it came to you know the look, you know, when he did go kind of full vampire, when you saw him like jumping around and even flying at one point, did you did you buy that? Uh, were you happy with the the effects and the makeup and everything else? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that kind of made me, you know the visual effects, the use of the different colors for, you know, it, 
red and blue it all it kind of gave me that throwback to i don't know if you remember the old youtube series red versus blue mm-hmm. the halo thing yeah um all red and blue thing kind of just i was like okay red versus blue i get it whatever um but you know the the effects surrounding him different things gave off different colors and and him initially moving around you know you get that purple kind of smoky look and i think that fit really well um and it just yeah so it really kind of the the effects were all there i mean i don't think they've ever done a movie you know where they weren't really kind of on point with this stuff there's been a few in the past but lately marvel and sony have just kind of pulled the stops out when it comes to okay we need to make this look as believable as possible the flying part at first was a little off to me but then i kind of got you know you got to get the vibe you know he's feeling the wind and he's learning to you know it's a learning process so i think they intentionally made him look a little awkward at first and then you know as it progresses it looks better um but you know i enjoyed the effects i mean when he bounces the ball and he's using this echo location and you can see the little you know foils off the red ball he can see it but can't see it you know what i mean and right you know all those kinds of things it really lends you know um i like the change in the eyes um that gave it some more um depth and the ears and things like that they paid attention to details and i think that was important in this movie because we are doing a vampire movie we're trying to do a vampire movie that we've never done before um granted in the marvel universe we obviously know that there are vampires because there's blade so morbius is not the first but he's one of the yeah so it's it's definitely yeah different kind of he's a created vampire versus a natural vampire i guess i should say but yeah yeah because i thought that was kind of cool that obviously they went went through the whole concept of he's suffering literally from a blood disease and that's why you know obviously he 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 makes it his goal to to find the cure and and to the point where he literally is given the nobel prize when he's like i think 17 or something like that and he snubs it because like i don't want the nobel prize i'm like dude really aside from the fact that that paycheck could definitely have helped you with your research right i mean Granted, okay, he's got Milo, I believe, who's funding his research. I guess that's what I gathered. But hey, that little extra cash might have actually made you more independent from Milo because you're literally depending on Milo. I mean, I know you made a promise. It's like, we're both going to get cured. We'll both do this together. You finance me. I'll put the brains. You put the money and we'll work this out. But uh, but yeah, you know, even if you didn't want the actual Nobel Prize itself, as I said, the the money could have helped with your research. And I did like the it's almost very kind of Tony Stark kind of situation because he is that, you know, genius level um, doctor, if you will, scientist in a different field, of course. So I thought that was kind of neat. There were some things which leaned a little bit too much to I get it. We you we don't have Batman, but we're going to get really close to do some Batman stuff for you, like. When he <laughs> enters the chamber with the bats and he's like looking in wonder, kind of like you would see Bruce do when he first enters the bat cave. I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, you want to show us that you have something that's just as cool as Batman. The visuals were nice, but I was like, okay, maybe you're trying a little bit too hard to tell us, you know, that we don't we don't mind that we don't have Batman in the in the Marvel universe. Other than that, yeah, I was very happy with uh, with Leto's performance. He was one of the better developed characters, and I think one of the big problems in this film is the lack of development in certain characters, which I'm sure we'll get to, which we'll definitely get to. But uh, yeah, the the, I, I, the the reason why I say I wish it could have gone a little bit longer because by the time the film ends, you're like, oh, that's it. So 
okay, I'm just going to be a hero and do this kind of stuff and off I go. Da, da, da. And that's, I'm like, okay, fine. I would have liked something a bit more. But um, no, I liked his mission statement and, uh, and uh, you know, the fact that he has a noble, um, should we say, mission and at the same time he's fighting to not give in to the beast inside, kind of like what Blade goes through. So it might be interesting if when Blade is brought in, if they're going to be adversaries or whether it's going to be like, I hear you. I'm right there with you. Let's work on this together because we know that Blade is also also suffers from vampirism. So it would be interested to see if they work together to find the ultimate cure or whether Michael is just going to say, okay, I'm going to, because we know that, um, what is it? Fake blood or artificial blood is not going to work for him anymore. Whether he, right. whether, he, whether he might get a serum through Blade and that might help him stave off the, the kind of the hunger so uh, I, I'm very, very curious when it comes to that. But other than that, no, I was very happy with, with what Leto brought to this role, aside from the little kooky Batman things. And can I just say the I am Venom moment was hilarious. I thought that was great. I don't know about what happened when in the theaters you guys were in. But when he went, I am Venom, there was a, there were six people in the theater with me. Everybody laughed. So I thought that was great. So I, I, that, that joke landed well. I'm glad they had the, that, the levity in certain points. So. So that was that was nice. So let's get to Michael's significant other in this film, who may also be now enjoying the perks of being a living vampire. Andrea Arjona as Martin Bancroft, who our listeners might know from Pacific Rim Uprising, Triple Frontier and a show that I absolutely love, Good Omens. So, uh, Kelly, starting with you, what did you make of Martin? Um. I mean, I liked her part in this. It's obvious that she has a thing for Morbius and, and she's been trying to help him for a, for a very long period of time, even though we don't get a whole lot of background on where she came from, what she's doing there, how they form their relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's just like they went from one scene and just said, okay, you're going to be here now. So, <laughs> you know, um, which I get it. I mean, you've got so much time to tell a story, but at the same time, uh, she's kind of an integral part of this whole situation. So I'm just, you know, I was a little, little lost when it came with, you know, to her as far as like, you know, I, I get where they pulled some of this stuff from the comics and all this kinds of stuff and, and they're using characters, but you know, you do have to cater to the audiences that have never read a comic book. And I think, you know, some of them might've been a little bit lost, you know, I, you know, obviously, you know, people are like, um, Okay, she's cool, but who's Bancroft? And Bancroft's a big name in Marvel Comics. I mean, if you if you dig deep enough, you'll figure that one out. But um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I loved her performance. I think she gave a convincing performance, and I think um, you know she literally um, was his right hand for so long. But we still don't know all that much about her. I mean, even at the end of the film, we still don't know all that much about her. And I think. Hopefully, uh, you know, if this movie does well enough and they decide to, you know, do a sequel, I'm hoping um, that um, they will go ahead and, and delve into her character a little bit deeper. You know what I mean? Um, give us some more um, some more background and, and actually get some of that story out there. But we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I loved her performance. I thought she was a pretty amazing uh, character in this movie. Um, I just wish I knew a little more about her as far as the Sonyverse goes and um, what they're trying to do with her. Right. And did you buy the chemistry between her and Morbius? Um, 
On her side at first, yes. On his side, I think he was standoffish intentionally. I think mm-hmm. Leto did a good job of, I'm sick, I'm going to die. You really don't want to be with me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, without actually saying that, you know what I mean? Um, and that question did actually come up in the film itself. But um, I definitely bought it on her side. On his side, I think it took a little bit more. Um, I think he was so focused on whether he's going to live or die that romantic entanglements weren't something in his head at that point. You know, I don't think it was till after he figured out, oh, hey, I'm not going to die, but I'm this horrible monster now. Now I love you because I can be a monster and love you. But, you know, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and uh, am I, t- uh, do, do you believe, I mean, this was the theory that I had. In, that, so at this point, she's become a living vampire as well by movie's end. Is that what we're supposed to believe, do you think? I mean, that's that's the feeling that I got. I don't think Morbius expected that because every person before this has died, right? So yeah. somehow she lives. Well, why? And we don't get any kind of little hint as to why, but I'm pretty sure that he didn't drain her like he did his other victims on the ship. So yeah. I'm guessing that she still had enough life that it transformed her. Yeah, or I mean, because I guess in that incredibly sexy scene where she's biting his lip and drinks his blood from his lip, I mean, you know, uh, I wonder whether that was it. Because I thought, because you know, first that might I thought, have too. yeah, yeah, because he tries, I think, to revive her in that way. Uh, by having her almost kind of, I don't know whether he bites his lip and she drinks from his blood or she, I can't remember exactly well, how that went. Yeah. It's reminiscent of like the Lost, Lost Boys mythology where um, the Michael in that movie drinks from the blood of the vampire there. So oh, okay. doesn't know. Yeah. That oh, kind of okay. reminds me of that mythos, you know, the Lost Boys mythos. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so I, I guess I guess that's how it how it goes. I mean, we had the upside down spider kiss, and now we have the uh, biting your significant other's upper lip and <laughs> drinking from it. You know, I guess whatever floats your boat. If you feel that kinky, folks, you know, I guess if uh, it's it's if everybody's in agreement, go for it. And uh, Devin, what did you make of Martine? Um, I was gonna make a side side joke there. I was gonna say vampire foreplay. <laughs> nice. Um. So, um, I think the character is great, honestly. I, I don't have a problem with her acting skills at all in this film. I think that she put her all in, into that character. Um, and the more that I dabble into like the background of Morbius, uh, I find her character more interesting in the comic books a little bit more than in this film, though. Um, but again, like they have more time in the comic books, obviously, to tell more stories, things like that. Um, I am familiar with some of her other work. I think she's a great actress. Um, and I'm glad that they finally gave her an opportunity to actually shine in something like this. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, the whole Venom joke, I think, was funny, too. Um, yeah. There's just so much with her character that I feel like... Uh, Here's how I would handle that situation, honestly. I would have a separate movie based on her and, and her character. Then you tell the entire story. And then you're not going to keep people there scratching their heads. Like, wait a minute. What what just happened? Um, so, you know, I think that she did a great job in this film. I think that she could do m- much better, honestly. I feel like in her own film with her with this character. Definitely. I mean, here's the thing. I there were moments where I really dug the 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 chemistry, if you will, in the sense that she was, 
you know, his fellow scientist helping him out. And though at the same time, she's like, you maybe shouldn't be doing this because you're wasting your time. You're never going to get anywhere. And then when she finds out about what he's been doing with the rats or the mice or what have you, and it's starting to work, she gets super enthusiastic about it. And I love how then she just is like, okay, I'm in. Let's go into international waters and do stuff with super <laughs> illegal stuff because we are helping science. So I'll do it, Michael, because you're hot and I think you're a great guy. So let's do this. <laughs> so, I mean, I know I'm, I'm making light of this, but that's the way I kind of saw it. But yeah, after that, she very is so invested in the whole thing. And I really like, I also like their playful banter when she's strapping him down and he's obviously making jokes with her and they're cracking jokes back and forth. So that was kind of neat. But then we kind of lose the character halfway through the movie because she literally then becomes the damsel in distress. Literally the lady in the middle over whom Michael and Milo will be fighting over because obviously then Milo is going to uh, visit her and, um, is going to do what he has. It's kind of like the Green Goblin. She's kind of like becomes almost the Mary Jane at a certain point where Michael has to save her from Milo. And uh, so it, I, it did annoy me a little bit that she didn't get to continue doing her science-y things. I would have preferred if she'd been more like the Doctor in the first Blade film where she can stand on her own two feet and continue yes. work, continue, yeah, continue working with Michael in yeah. that capacity rather than save me michael save me i'm gonna die okay i'll bite your lip and now i'm a vampire too woohoo let's go but um mm -hmm. I, I would have liked something a little bit more more substantial because it's the, the it started really well but then it's like okay that's why i said kind of paint by the numbers superhero thing of damsel in distress the hero has to go save her she's uh, halfway between life and death our hero looks up at the skies and roars so i i was a little bit upset about it i think it, it would be interesting to see if and when we do get a sequel, what they do with with uh, Martine, but um, but it, the potential once again is there. I just hope that now that she's become a vampire herself, it's going to make for more of a, com a compelling character. So let's get to the man who takes care of Morbius and kids who suffer from various unfortunate conditions, Mr. Jared Harris as Dr. Emil Nicholas. So, Devin, starting with you, what did you make of our good doctor? Well, I'll say this. Um, the character isn't bad by any means, but at the same time, I don't think that it's also a very good character because I, I feel like, again the slowness of the film and in this rapid you know ongoing period of time where there's not really a whole lot going on i feel like um i understand the character but i also feel like they could have done more with the background story hmm. okay so you would have liked to have seen more of michael and milo as kids with uh, with nicholas Right, absolutely, because I feel like you're not telling the entire story that you should be telling. Mm. Okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, and uh, Kelly, what did you make of uh, of Doctor Nicholas? Well, I felt like in this for the for the screen time that he had, you know, for me he was a, a little more of one of the, and maybe it's just the way that they they worked in the film. I felt like he was a little more developed mm. than some of the other characters. But I I understood, you know, he if you've ever seen him in other movies, he doesn't always portray the nicest guy in other movies. True. So it, being believable as a nice guy in this movie for me was kind of important because here's a guy that, you know, 
in other films, he's played an on the fence character. He's played a bad guy. He's played a good guy. You know, you, you got to believe it. And so when I'm watching this, I, I honestly believe that he cares about Michael and Milo or Lucius, whatever you want to call him. And then, you know, there's, there's, there's a genuine, like he knows these two are attached and there's a genuine care for each one of them more. So, you know, I think he made the statement in the movie, you know, when he's, when he's dying, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> that he cared for, you know, he spent all of his time caring for Lucius and, or Milo. And Michael was independent of that care because Michael was able to use his mind and, and do things above and beyond what, uh, um, what was going on there. So, I mean, I feel like, um, was he, he, he wasn't supposed to be a leading character and I feel like, you know, they probably could have done a little more with him, but in the same time, again, I wanted more focus on the, the main characters in this movie and not so much on, on everything else on the sidebar. We want to fill in the backstory. You know, we could have done more with her instead of him. We could have done, there's a multitude of things that you can sit back and play, you know, movie armchair quarterback, if you want to call it that and say, yeah, you should have done this. You should have done that. Um, you know, in, in production, who's important, who's not, you know, and, and again, who garners more screen time, who does this, who does that. And, you know, I, I get it. And it, again, we're telling an origin story. And when we do that, you know, we're doing that for the benefit of people that don't read the comic books and, and haven't, you know, had the opportunity. So you can't throw everything in to this one film. You're going to have to stretch it. But, I mean, you can pick pieces and parts that are more interesting and pull them into the film to get people's attention. And I think he could have gotten a little more attention um, as their caretakers when they were young. You know, we might have had a few more flashbacks to when they were young. As it was, you know, we kind of just got bits and pieces here and there. So. You know, it. I liked him as a character, and I think he, I think they did well with him. Um, I honestly feel like his compassion is what led to Morbius's compassion later in life. Um, even though we don't get to see that, I think you kind of associate one with the other because this guy's taking care of kids that can't take care of themselves, no parents to take care of them, that kind of thing. So it's a you know catch twenty two, and he's not just taking care of the sick kids. I mean, it looks like he works in an orphanage type situation, so. Um, but you don't get all that info. You kind of don't, it never tells you where they're from. It doesn't tell you, you know, you just kind of like, okay, whatever. So, uh, yeah, I guess gotta, maybe got to take it as it comes, I guess. I guess maybe he takes care of dead end kids, I suppose, because we don't know, like you said, where Michael comes from in the sense of who his uh, biological parents are, I believe. We kind of just start with him and Milo as kids, if, if memory serves. So I don't know where yes. they just, or maybe Milo was dropped there over there by his rich parents. I think that was the case. But like, we know this guy can help you. So they drop him off because obviously Milo has the money and I assume it comes from family that they dropped him off there. But we don't know, I believe, who Michael's biological parents were, if memory serves. But yeah, I also I have to add, because of this character, I was literally geeking out when he mentioned Xavier's school for gifted mutants. Yes. I was yes. like, please show us Professor X, please. Because when, when, when um, the, I believe it, when it's uh, Dr. Nicholas who says to Michael, there is a school for special people like yourself. And I said, 
Yes, are we going to Xavier's mansion? No, we're not. But um, <laughs> I like the tease, which might, which hopefully is more than just the tease, because I believe the X-Men will be coming down the line. So what might be interesting if Michael ends up, uh, you know, bumping into the X-Men in, you know, in a rather odd fashion. But uh, I love that moment. I mean, that was a big geek out moment for me anyway. But uh, yeah, I guess Dr. Nicholas is very much the typical kind of uh, paternal figure when it comes to Milo and Michael, because obviously he takes them under his wing and tries to do the best he can with them. Even though to Milo's thoughts, it seems like Michael was always his favorite. I don't know if that comes across. Maybe that's just Milo's impression, because let's be honest, Milo goes off the deep end a little bit. So it could very well just be that, because I think he loved them both equally. Heck, I believe it's uh, when... Um, Milo is attacked as a kid, you know, uh, Nicholas is immediately coming to his rescue going, go away, you damn kids and everything else. He's taking yep. care of him and helping him out. So he's very much a good person. And uh, as like you said, probably that's where Michael gets his ethics from. And uh, yeah, I was kind of sad that he got killed off because it would have been kind of nice had he remained. But then again, I suppose you have to take away characters that our hero loves to push his mission statement forward and get that much more angry when it comes to uh, to facing his nemesis. But um, yeah, <clears throat> I like Dr. Nicholas and uh, I thought the performance was good. Yeah, especially, as I said, for dropping the, the X-Men bomb. That was my favorite moment of his. So let's get to the two main cops tasked with bringing this blood-sucking killer to justice. We have Al Madrigal as Al Rodriguez and Tyrese Gibson as Simon Stroud. So, uh, Kelly, starting with you, what did you make of uh, Stroud and Rodriguez? Well, I mean, Rodriguez could have cracked more jokes in the movie. That was, I mean, he was on point with a lot of the, the yeah. uh, I mean, of all the jokes and all the things that happened, I think he was the biggest comic relief for the whole movie because he just, he had me cracking up every time we saw him. I mean, he brings holy water to an interview. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, he says, oh, here, let me go look at the crime scene. That way you don't have to move. Um, you know, there's just, there's all kinds of things that are going on. And he always has these snarky comments. And it, it you know, he believes, I think you see Tyrese Gibson's character. I think he doesn't believe that Morbius is responsible for a lot of this stuff. But I feel like that, you know, the other Rodriguez just wants to go over here and, and blame Morbius for, you know, everything and just get it over with. Like, okay, you're, you're the only vampire we know of. So guess what? And I'm sitting here in my head thinking, obviously you guys haven't had Blade around much. So, but he, I, those things are coming, but um, I just, I don't know. I felt like they, they made a good, I think uh, it, it made for a good, uh, a good thing. I just feel like that they didn't catch on in this movie. You know, like most detectives at some point you catch on, like mm -hmm. you, you catch on and you, you kind of know what's going on. I didn't feel like they ever, that light bulb ever turned on for them. I, I don't know. I was like waiting for that moment where they go, where he goes, you know what? Something else is going on here. And, but I, you know, I'm just sitting here in my head going, you know, come on guys, let's, um, Let's work this out a little bit, maybe. I mean, let's not look so stupid because, you know, you are humans versus, you know, superheroes and you're making us look kind of dumb here. So um, I was like, come on, you know. Um, but, you know, who knows? I mean, we didn't even get to see what they made of the situation at the end. You know, it was just all kind of like, oh, my gosh, you know. Um, 
everything just happened. And then, like you said, the movie ended. Um, so I was a little, I, I don't know, I was a little disjointed with that situation just a little bit. Um, I felt like, you know, their presence in the movie made the movie better, but then they were absent like the second act almost. Like there were pieces and parts of them, but like the second half of the movie, I mean, we're focused on Morbius and Milo and I get it, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, okay, where are you guys at in this whole scenario? Like, what? follow the money. Who does it go back to? I mean, what are you guys doing? You're like walking around with this blank stare on your face half the time, cracking jokes. It's funny, but I mean, come on, guys. So <laughs> I, there's just, you know, my take on the situation. Yeah. And yeah, like the simplest thing of, oh, this is a closed security camera footage thing. Let's go look at the footage. Um, you couldn't have thought of that beforehand, but okay, because convenient for the movie, but okay. I mean, uh, yeah, I was. I, there were moments where, where once again, um, film likes to depict uh, law enforcement as being rather silly or stupid. So I was kind of, it, it was irking me that this trope is still alive and well. Um, and uh, Devin, what did you make of our two cops? Boy, okay. Um... So I admire their their acting capability and mm -hmm. them trying to tell this story and but I have to be honest I don't really think that they're very like interesting at all um other than like the jokes and things like that like that's funny but um like yeah they're they're just literally making human beings look like dumb honestly like how dumb can you be to not catch on, you know, to some of this stuff that is blatantly right in front of your face? I mean, it, it's like knock on wood. <laughs> and to me, it's like I get the point of them being in this movie to make it more interesting. But I, at the same time, like, I'm not really impressed with the characters. Like, and I get it. Like, they probably could do more with with those characters if they're given the proper time and maybe, you know, another film. But again, like, you know, I feel like they did what they were sent there to do. It's just, you know, I wasn't really following some of their, you know, detective skills. Let's just put it that way. Uh, or, or lack thereof, honestly. <laughs> so, you know, I feel like I understand why they're in the film. But at the same time, I think we could also do without them, too. Yeah. And it's weird how many things this movie made me think of the, the 90s flash TV show because of the kind yep. of characters we have, because you have the sciencey hot doctor who's kind of sweet on our main character. You've got the two uh, totally inept cops, which are kind of similar to the ones we get in the flash and that we get here, because I think if they put their minds to it, they can actually do a good job because some of the procedure that they go through is sound they're talking to people they're doing their research and everything else but silly mo uh, you know simple things like closed camera footage the closed camera thing you know you've been kind of running around in circles and you only realize that now because obviously yeah. you you've only heard of the one vampire killer and so you're pinning all the murders that have been happening on michael not knowing that milo has been around recently also and is the, is the one actually doing these doing these killings but uh, yeah there were moments where they did seem a little bit inept and as i said that kind of trope of um law enforcement tends to be super dumb when it comes to certain films so that kind of continued here i wonder where they might end up being like the running gag in 
further Morbius films. I mean, depending on how many we get, if we even get a sequel, I think we probably will, bearing also in mind they probably want to build off from this, seeing also what we get in our post-credit scenes, which I'm sure, which we'll be discussing here shortly. But uh, no, I uh, I enjoyed the comedy from them. I thought it was kind of funny. As I said, the six people in the theater with me did kind of laugh along with the various sort of things we said. But other than that, yeah, they were just sort of around to kind of, I guess, look inept and make everybody else look way smarter, I suppose. So let's get to our big bad, the 11th Doctor himself, Mr. Matt Smith as Milo Morbius. So, Debin, starting with you, what did you make of our big bad? I, I enjoy it, honestly. I, I think he did a great job. And he, he was a believable villain, honestly. So that's, like, when I see a movie, I want that character to like play a villain like if you're casted as a villain be a villain and i just like the fact that he really put his all into this role and i can see why people would be more interested in him than michael you know um but overall i would say if i had to give him a grade in this film i would say a for effort i think he did a pretty decent job and apparently we do have Doctor Who to thank for him being in this film, because apparently his colleague on Doctor Who, Karen, Karen Gillan, who, of course, was his companion when he was the Doctor in, during his time as the Doctor, she was the one who kind of convinced him to come on and do these kind of films. Because I, I, I can kind of imagine the conversation of, oh, they want me to be in one of these superhero things. I don't know. Maybe I'll do this. And, you know, and Karen probably saying, oh, no, it's great fun. You know, you have an awesome time. So we have one Karen Gillan to thank and two also uh, Doctor Who, because that's obviously where the two met. So, uh, Kelly, speaking of which, what did you make of the Doctor as a villain? Matt Smith goes to the gym. Um, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> um, no, um, uh, you know, I enjoyed him as the villain in this one. I think he played it. He played it rather well. Um, I do think we get a little bit of the campy Doctor Who when he's in the apartment and he's getting ready to go out, that kind of thing. I think we get a kind of throwback to the old Doctor Who days, a little bit of the campiness, a little bit of the pizzazz that uh, Matt Smith was so known for on the Doctor. Um, but that's who he is. I mean, that's when you hire him to be an actor. I mean, that's what you're going to get. And I always enjoyed Matt Smith. I'm not like I. A lot of girls think he's incredibly good looking. I'm not sure why. Um, as a guy, I'm just kind of like, I don't get it. But, um, you know, I mean, that's what the girls have been talking about. They're coming out of Morbius. Did you see his abs? And I'm like, huh? What? Anyway. Um, there was I've a always, battle of the abs on this film between uh, Jared Leto and Matt Smith. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, I'm like, you know, I get it. And it's cool. You know, it's kind of like... Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like any other film where, you know, you saw a guy that's played this skinny, you know, kind of character. And then the next thing you know, ta-da, um, you know, you go into this. Um, my girl says he's not cute, by the way. Um, <laughs> so I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess if you like the, the tall spindly type. Right. And then, you know, you see him all muscled up in this one. And, and I'm like, yo, kudos to him because, you yeah. know, obviously you had to get in shape for the movie and it's that's a good thing. Um, getting in shape for anybody is a good thing. I'm in a shape. It's called round. I'm enjoying it. So, um, but, uh, you know, I, 
I don't know. I, I really enjoyed his performance. I think he played a good bad guy. Um, I Matt Smith always has a tendency to be that over the top kind of guy. Um, and it matches Leto's kind of dull energy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, it made a good counterbalance. And, you know, the scene where, you know, Leto does his echolocation thing, he finds them on the rooftop. Um, you know, you get the red, blue squares, the disco squares on top of the, you know, which again, the red versus blue thing, you know, Milo being the red and him being the blue, um, you know, Morbius being the blue. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. And, um, it really, you know, they, it worked. The fight scene was good. Um, I felt like they kind of underplayed Morbius's power a little bit in that beginning of that fight. Um, and they gave, you know, Matt Smith kind of some screen time to really, show his anger and and do all the things that uh that he was going to do in that movie and i mean it turned out to be great and i was disappointed in some of the aspects of they've been friends since they were children so the the relationship to deteriorate the relationship like that um on on his part was just kind of i don't know it's a little quick for me but again you know we're dealing with the movie so much time you know um why not try to save your friend versus, you know, kill him? But I guess, you know, it is what it is. So, you know. Or Michael uh, was like he was too far gone. I don't know. Maybe. I, I, you know, this is a new thing. So, you know, to make that determination right off the bat is kind of a questionable mm. side of the doctor. But Agreed. at the same time, you got a threat. The guy's not going to stop. You got to stop him somehow. And if you don't have time to do the research, which in this case we didn't, you know, then you've got to come up with an idea to put him down, which, by the way, happened to be the same idea they used in the first blade. If you remember to kill the vampire king with the anticoagulant, um, the whole situation, you know, if you just kind of borrowed that from one to the other. I mean, who you know, who's to say? But um, <laughs> uh, just saying. But, um, you know, it, I, I thought Matt did a fantastic job um, being being the the uh yin to the yang kind of situation and just really and i think this movie was basically based on their friendship and the fact that you know he was getting funded and i mean you get the feeling that some of the things that milo does is a little nefarious you know throughout the entire movie you know there's little hints here and there you know why the bodyguards oh you know blah 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 did some people a little wrong and you know they may come looking for me you never know you know the other comment that he makes when he goes to the jail cell and drops the blood on the bench, you know, he's like, you were the last person I ever thought I'd see here between the two of us, you know? Um, so, I mean, there's some definite, um, you know, little foreshadowing things that lead you to believe that maybe Milo hasn't led the squeaky, squeaky clean life that, that Michael Morbius has led and so on and so forth. So. It's very true. And yeah, I, I guess um, Matt went back to his um, soccer playing day physique because uh, before he was an actor, he was actually a semi-professional soccer player. And yes. uh, I guess that's pretty much what he did because he his career was you know ended abruptly because of an injury he had. So I guess uh, he maybe broke out the weights and said, I'm going to get back into my uh, football playing days shape. And he did. And he looked good. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. But I thought it was weird. Yeah, the kind of juxtaposition of we've seen shirtless Jared Leto. We have to give you shirtless Matt Smith now. So I thought, okay. But uh, and I guess, you know, 
um, Matt had worked out. It's like, you know, I worked out. I want people to see that I worked out. So, uh, and and it's very kind of similar because both of them are obviously doing their thing and then he puts on the shirt and to the, and to do you know, kind of jamming to music. And I did get some hints of the 11th Doctor here and then being a huge Doctor Who fan, I was yeah. so happy to have him here and I was worried you know, that he might be either miscast or poorly written. But I think Matt took the part and run with it. He, there were hints yeah. here and there, which reminded me of the way he'd played Charles Manson in the BBC TV uh, version of that. And because he knows how to do evil. And I'm glad that he didn't do like a stereotypical cackling evil. You right. could tell the guy was literally sick, you know, when, when at a certain point after he's taken the serum, because I know he's so kind of he really oozes that that male, that malevolence and that you know and that you could tell he's a serial killer you could feel the serial killer vibes and I totally dug that it's a shame that he's we're possibly not going to see him again but I guess Matt Smith has other work to do and he's probably doesn't want to be signed long term to being a villain but uh, he was the, the the best part of the movie in my opinion and um, I yeah. think it, it was. Uh, you know, you made a good comment there, Kelly, about him almost being more flashy, more kind of always with the quips, while Michael was more of the stern kind of guy. It was kind of Batman and the Joker all over again, if you will, where it's the Joker making all the quips and all that stuff. And Batman is the more somber kind of guy and very more serious because I because uh, it seems like Milo delights in what he does, even though there is also a lot of resentment. I have to get that resentment because I agree with you, because if there were such buddies before he took the serum... Suddenly he's like, oh, you loved him more than you loved me. And Michael's betrayed me and he gets the girls and I get nothing. And I don't know. I mean, even when he's uh, at the club and he's kind of flirting with that one girl, I would have expected him to kind of murder everybody. But I suppose he couldn't because, you know, I murdered other people, but I'm not going to do it openly because I can't. But uh, it's interesting there that he controls himself. And I suppose maybe the conversation can be made of um, embracing who you are and hiding from what you are to a certain extent, in the sense that Michael at first doesn't want to embrace the darker side of himself and tries well, to. But keep I, it I think they were using, I think they were using Milo to pin everything on Morbius. Yeah. And when they finally figure out what's actually happening, I think there's a total, you know, you never really law enforcement, you never really get. You know, even though they find out, you know, that Milo's the one behind the killings at the bar, not Morbius, you know, you kind of get that whole, um, they're, you know, it, yeah, I mean, the doctor, the, the doctor that took care of him growing up, he, he gets it long before everybody else figures it out. So, you know, and I get it because he knows them both, but at the same time, you know, why weren't the cops looking into who was funding Morbius's projects as well as, you know, that, that kind of thing. Again. You know, we kind of dropped the ball in here on some of this and and we can pin that on writers and we can say, OK, you know, well, it is what it is. And we're trying to get a movie. out. I get it. But at the same time, I know now kind of why they held this movie back and didn't let it go when it was supposed to against Spider-Man No Way Home. Because, I mean, let's be honest, this this movie doesn't hold a candle to that one um, in any way, shape or form. So uh, it's a good movie. I mean, it is great. But I, again, I just feel like there's a lot of loopholes here that we didn't we didn't close up tight enough and we we didn't some of it's a little far fetched so to speak it's a little unbelievable I guess Yeah 
I mean, and there are also, I think, very much the kind of almost tropes that have there been in other Sony properties, especially Venom. I think this is more akin to the two Venom films than it is the Spider-Man ones when it comes... Oh, because obviously the characters are darker, for one, but just the way they're written, they're very similar, I found. Because, like I said, yes. you have almost a reluctant hero and the guy who just loves the power that he is given, especially even in the first Venom with Riot, where Riot is, the guy who plays Riot is all about, oh, I love being, you know, kind of a half symbiote, half man. And uh, um, Eddie is not so cool about the idea of having a symbiote, you know, being bonded to him. And here it's kind of the same thing where Michael isn't particularly enthusiastic about the idea of being a living vampire. I, I get it because obviously he doesn't want to drink human blood and then uh, the artificial bloods only go on for so long. But it is it is all very similar. And I agree. I mean, it's a good movie. It's not great. But um, <laughs> I think there there is the potential to do something cool as as things progress for sure. So um, speaking actually of which, before we get to our two post credit scenes, um, Kelly, did you have anything uh, you wanted to say when it came to how this movie ended? So I guess how Milo was killed and how we ostensibly see, you know, Michael embracing the fact that he will be a living vampire from here on out. Well, I mean. You kind of, okay, so Morbius makes up two vials, one for Milo, one for himself. Yep. Um, and, you know, you get to the end of this film, and I'm just like, okay, it it kind of ends abruptly, to be honest. It, it's not really like, there's no, and I, okay, let's leave it on a cliffhanger. Well, it's not really a cliffhanger, though. And then... So there's no explanations. There's kind of like the the end of the movie just kind of flat, to be honest with you. When it just we go ends. That's it. It just ends. And so I'm, I'm I was left a little kind of like in shock. I was like, where are we going with this? And and why? What what are we doing exactly? Because like you you just killed your lifelong best friend, right? You put him out of his misery, so to speak. Um, you put down the rabid dog. All right. So now you're supposed to put yourself down, but instead. You know, we decide, okay, I'm going to go on living and, you know, so on and so forth. And and when we get to the post-credit scenes, I'll explain some of that, too, because, like, some of that didn't set right either. But the whole point is, is I'm watching this movie, and we have this build-up to this fight at the end. Fight at the end happens, and then the movie's over. There's no, um, I mean, even Arnold Schwarzenegger at the end of Predator flies off on a chopper. Um, <laughs> you know, something to let us know, hey... We're going to move on, you know, and granted that, you know, I, I'm like, okay, if the movie doesn't do well and they ended it like this, I'm not really waiting for the sequel. I mean, I'm just being honest. I just kind of like chop it's done. Here we go. And I'm like, okay, well, um, you know, where, where do we go from here? I mean, I mean, you're kind of predisposed now, I guess, you know, when you go to entertainment that they're going to give you that one little piece at the end or they're going to give you that little something to grab onto. And I was just kind of looking at that going, okay, are they doing that with the post-credit scenes? Are we, you know, what are we doing with this exactly? Like, yeah, an epilogue or some resolution. Yeah. Because, you know, I know in the comics and I know, you know, we're not translating comics to movies because we can't do that because there's just too much material. And we've talked about that in the past, but the point is, is that, you know, the things that happened in the comics versus the things that happened in this movie, I get it. You know, I understand it. Um, it. It just, I don't know. I just, the Morbius character to me was way too squeaky clean. The 
Milo was definitely the one on the fence and, you know, morally would go either direction. He doesn't care. And that's apparent. But Morbius, on the other hand, you know, it's just, I don't know. There's something that doesn't settle. And then when you go to the post-credit scenes, which we'll talk about in a minute, some doesn't seem right. It just doesn't click right. And I, and I, I've been trying to put my finger on it since I seen it yesterday. And, you know, I, I kind of went back and reflected on some of the roles that, that Morbius has played in the comics, you know, cause he has teamed up with Spider-Man in the comics. He's also fought Spider-Man in the comics. Sure. He's fought Dr. Strange. He's, you know, there's, you know, he's been in different roles in the comics. He's kind of like one of those characters that, you know, we need an anti-hero. So you're either going to get Venom or you're going to get Morbius or you're going to, you know, there's a few of them, the Prowler, just different ones that you're going to get that are going to be the the Punisher, you know, for instance. We're going to get that anti-hero vibe, but Morbius is starting out in the comics. I don't feel like it was ever an anti-hero. I feel like he was more of a villain. I mean, if I, you know, if I really read the comics, I mean, it didn't happen until later that, that he starts becoming more of kind of the anti-hero. But um, I don't know. I just... I know they're using certain parts of certain comics for these things and they're going through and they're taking certain stories. I get it. Um, I just felt like, I don't know. I felt like they could have picked a better origin story um, and just worked it a little better. Um, But, you know, all in all, just looking at this movie and the way it ended, it just, I don't know. It just, it left, it didn't leave me wanting more. I'll put it that way. I just really, you know, when I walked out, like I said, usually when I walked out of no way home, I'm like, they have to do another movie. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah when i walked out of morbius i'm like eh, okay you know if we get another morbius film great i'd rather see another venom film or i'd rather see blade or i'd rather see you know whatever i just i don't know i just morbius could be a very good property for sony marvel um i just feel like that they've got to probably do a little more homework and maybe just put the marvel kind of spin on this thing maybe and maybe it'll come out better i don't know I mean, if it were up to me, I'd probably keep Espinosa on as a director. I might get some different writers yeah. because I like the direction. I think the writing yeah. is what needs pulling the, the socks up on for sure. And uh, Debin, what did you make of our ending? Boy, uh, yeah, see, that's the only problem I have majorly with this film is I really feel like they didn't really need to kill him off that fast. I feel like they could have got more in detail, like, telling the story like i was saying earlier about them being children and being friends and growing up um yeah i I don't know like i just i'm kind of with kelly like i feel like there's just not a good ending to this film so i mean if it were up to you would you have like kept milo alive possibly maybe like have him put in prison or something like that yeah absolutely to kind of continue the story yes yes Mm -hmm. Well, that's that, that that's fair. I mean, I agree with you guys because yeah, the when the, when the ending arrived, I was like, wait a minute, that's the ending because you know you kind of get that typical ending of a superhero show, as in when it comes to the shots. The shots are very paint by numbers in the sense that you start with like an opening narration by the by the main character, and you end with a narration from the the character. And in this case, that's what you got for the ending of this. You had that narration. I if remember, this is from Michael kind of saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is the life I lead and everything else. And then obviously you have the, the typical shot where you have the, the face of our, of our hero or protagonist. And that's what they did. But 
it made zero sense because you're like, okay, so where does he go from here? How is he going to be staving off the hunger? Is he drinking human blood? Who's supplying him with artificial blood? Has he been able to uh, develop a uh, more potent version of artificial blood? Has he come up with a serum like Blade? I mean, you could have literally maybe not had one of the post credit scenes and had an epilogue where you have him, where you have uh, Michael and um, Martine working together to kind of stave off the hunger of, of this is how we're coping with being with our condition and being living vampires. So it's it that was that was really sort of weird. I hope they explain it if we do get a sequel. I mean, I, as I said before, I think that we probably will. Probably depends on whether Jared Leto wants to carry on do carrying on doing this or whether he he wants to do other projects. But uh, I have a feeling this was this was definitely very much a pilot, if you will, for a series of Morbius movies. Maybe I'm usually it's usually three. So I'm thinking just like with Venom, they probably want to do three Morbius films. I could be wrong, but um, oh, it's just an introduction and he'll appear here and there in other properties. It remains to be seen. But yeah, the ending was very odd. It was very abrupt. And even in the post credit scenes, it just made zero sense. And speaking of the post credit scenes, we do get two rather post, I guess we should call them mid credit because once the credits roll, there's nothing. There's two mid credit scenes where we have, of all things, the vulture played by Michael Keaton manifesting or appearing out of nowhere in jail from his universe and uh, sort of wondering what's been going on and trying to make sense of where he is. And the second uh, post-credit scene is the vulture in full armor meeting Morbius, offering him to team up because Spider-Man has been giving him a bit of trouble. So, Devin, what did you make of our two mid-credit scenes? Boy, um, yeah. See, that's another w- twist in this in this movie. Is I just feel like, um, man, they just could have done a much better job with this whole situation, honestly. And uh, again, like, it feels like maybe I just need to just contact the directors myself and just be like, you know, uh, point out here. There's like three scenes in this film that don't make any sense. Um. <laughs> And number one most important thing is like the whole, you know, end of the movie doesn't make any sense. And like this particular scene too that you're that you're describing, to me, that's a head scratcher. That's just one of those moments where it's like, wait, what? And I feel like maybe I need to watch this film all over again, actually, when it's on Blu-ray and maybe watch it scene by scene um, to maybe come to a conclusion that would make sense. Um, I mean, I'm glad that they're thinking outside the box. That's good. But it's also got to make sense, too. And I mean, were you at least happy to see Michael Keaton in this, even though for a brief period? Oh yeah, absolutely yeah. Because that that to me is is like the OG of like the Batman films. Is, mm-hmm. I mean, from the nineties, like um, Batman, like uh, the first movie uh, from nineteen eighty nine. Uh, you know, I feel like he did a really great job in that film, and um, it, it's good to see him back. Like, it's just I want him to be in, in the right role and the right time. You know. So, so you were happy though at the time when you, because I, I assume you'd seen it uh, as as the Vulture in uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yes, yes, and that, and I really enjoyed that because that character to me, um, if they 
progress it a little bit they might even be able to do like a spin-off with that you know for his mm -hmm. own movie very much so and kelly i i believe you have thoughts when it comes to these two mid credit scenes so yeah what did you think of uh, adrian tombs now possibly teaming up with morbius so one i'm going to poke some holes in this stuff real quick for you so people please do please do um first scene he appears in the jail cell okay this this is a spinoff from no way home um we see the crack in the sky we understand that you know these villains are going somewhere um this one happens to land in this universe okay mm -hmm. so they gotta let the guy go because in this universe obviously he's not done anything wrong and they don't understand how he just appeared in a jail cell and i think I there's no adrian tombs in their universe right yeah so yeah. i would kind of First off, if, if, if I'm the authorities and, and people in general, I'm going to question a little bit as to why all of a sudden a guy appeared in a jail cell. He's in a jail uniform. And, you know, um, now, you know, we we got to let the guy go because, OK, hey, he hasn't done anything in our universe. So, you know, we don't have, you know, Dr. Strange is basically the universal police. So, you know, he's going to have to fix that later. But anyway, um, so, you know. Or I should say that, yeah, he's the multiverse police, I guess. So he's going to have to fix that later. I mean, there's other multiverse police in Marvel's gambit of things, but that's something to go into later if they ever make a movie. But um, so my other thing is that's the first scene, right? The first mm -hmm. post credit scene. Second yes. post credit scene. Vulture comes flying in over the hill. We see a picture of Michael Morbius driving down this curvy road. He's going out to the end of nowhere. Then all of a sudden you see the vulture in full armor flying in. Number one, the Chitari weren't in this universe. Where did he get the technology to build the vulture suit? Yeah, where was that? In fact, because if he appeared yeah. in the jail cell, was it just lying around? That's very strange. Unless he can I mean, travel, yeah. he can travel between worlds. I don't know. In the way home, these guys were all Doc Ox attached to his arms. The Green Goblin, when he got snatched, was in his armor in the first place. Um you know, Electro is just Electro. I mean, in Sandman, Sandman, they can't disassociate themselves from who they are. So yeah, Vulture was in cities, uh, though. You know, so it comes with them when they come into the the No Way Home universe. But Adrian Toomes was in jail. Mm -hmm. He didn't have access to his armor. I mean, where did that come from? Exactly. I mean, I, granted, don't get me wrong. Adrian Toomes is supposedly you know an engineer and you know things like that, smart guy. Um, and a lot of our villains in in Marvel. In, in the Marvel comics, Vulture's not always that brilliant. I'll just be honest. True. But, you know, in this universe, you know, we're going to we're going to say he's a smart guy. Even if you're a smart guy, you can't replicate the Chitauri power supply without Chitauri tech. Exactly. So I'm like, OK. And then number two, we've painted Morbius as this good guy through this entire movie. Wouldn't harm anybody. Doesn't, you know, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to team up with the Vulture from another universe that you've never met before in your entire life, and you're going to go after Spider-Man because he's giving you some problems. Which Spider-Man, by the way? <laughs> Thank you. And then, so I'm sitting here going, okay, which Spider-Man are you going after? Are you going to go after the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man? Are you going after the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Are you going after Tom Holland Spider-Man? Because you can't go after the Tom Holland Spider-Man. He's in a different universe right now. <laughs> Unless they're planning on doing a Madam Web thing where, you know, everybody gets thrown all over the multiverse. That's fine. Whatever. But I'm just sitting here thinking, OK, we're leading up to something. Is it going to be big or are we going to get a flash in the pan? 
are is this a Marvel thing that they're just Marvel's getting Sony to like kind of promote this whole crossover thing? Okay, great. Make some sense out of it though. Like uh, you know, it, it. Let's be honest. In this universe, obviously Eddie Brock wasn't here during this time period because of the multiverse mess up. I guess. Yeah, because he'd been sent to the other universes, the Spider-Man universe. Had Venom known of Morbius, had seen this on TV, guess where Venom would have been? Right in the middle of all this, right? Because we're going to eat the bad guy. Um, And then, okay, we're talking about Spider-Man. Where was Spider-Man during all of this? I mean, this is New York, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You know, there's so many questions that all this raises up. And I'm like, what the heck? Okay, he might have been preoccupied with another villain. Okay, whatever. But for how long? And, and you know, wouldn't this take kind of high end on your radar kind of situation? People are being drained of blood and left dead in the streets. And there's a fight between two large, you know, two major vampire powers going on. And then all of a sudden, ta-da, we're over. Adrian Toon shows up. And now we're getting a precursor to the Sinister Six. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, there's no – we've got no tie-in whatsever with any of that. It's all just kind of like – first we got the tie-in at the end of – the first Spider-Man with Tom Holland with the Scorpion. We haven't seen hide nor hair of that situation yet. Now we're getting a tie-in with Morbius. And I'm just like, okay, and we got a tie-in with Venom. So at some point, when are you going to take these loose ends and tie them up for us? Or are you? Are you just going to be like, eh, you know, we'll let them wait a while, whatever. Okay. Um, I think that's part of the, the, I think that's part of the Marvel universe is we get those little teasers and post credits. And a lot of times we're all like, okay, we have a good idea what's going to happen, but we're not sure. we got to see the next movie. You know, kind of what drives you to the theater, right? Sure. This didn't make me want to go to the theater. I mean, I love Michael Keaton. Loved him as Batman. Loved him as the Vulture. Birdman. I mean, you can go down the list. One of my favorite movies that he ever made was Multiplicity. Um, You know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I love love Michael Keaton in. He's just amazing. I'm super stoked that he's reprising his role as Batman. Um, <laughs> yeah. In in Batwoman or Batgirl and um and, and the Flash film, yeah. Um, I'm a little disappointed in the Flash right now, Ezra Miller. If you've watched the news at all, that's been a little mm-hmm. bit of a thing. Um, but I mean, I'm excited to see him back as the Batman. I'm excited to see him in future films as the Vulture. Um, I just I don't know. I I'm I was left just kind of sitting there going, how did all that happen? And we don't have any sort of any Easter egg in the movie that leads you to that point. We don't have any little tie-ins that lead you to that point. Nothing. Like zero. Zilch. Nada. And then you get those two scenes. And I'm just like, I get it. I totally understand the whole No Way Home crossing universe thing. Here's Adrian Toomes. But if you remember in No Way Home, when Strange closed the portal, everybody went back to where they belonged. Exactly. Why didn't Tombs go back to where he belonged? Why all of a sudden now is he in Morbius's universe? So, I mean, hey, it, they may be pulling Spider-Man in that direction and going, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> but, mm. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a, if they were going to have another Andrew Garfield movie, I think this is the setup for it. That could very Just, well be. 
I don't know. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I was scratching my head as well. I mean, once again, in the, in our theater, as I said, I was one of six people in the theater. And right behind me, I heard the guy go, what the F was that? You know, so, so right. clearly people were not happy with these post credit scenes. They were rather clumsy, I think would be probably the apt word in the sense it's like, of course, because we have, we're working with Marvel, so we have to connect everything, even though it's going to be in a very haphazard, kind of higgledy-piggledy way. And uh, it just made zero sense to me. I mean, the prospect of the Vulture and Morbius teaming up, yeah, it's cool, but it makes zero sense if Morbius is like, I'm going to go on the straight and narrow, and why would I team up with some high random guy who I've never met, who has a grudge against somebody I've never heard of or never met? I mean, you know, it, it was very odd. That's why I would have almost preferred no, maybe one, um, you know, mid-credit scene. Have if you want Michael Keaton in the jail cell and leave it at that. Explain to us what is Morbius doing now? How is he still alive and possibly not drinking blood? We know nothing about our main character. It just ends up being almost commercials for the next movies. When if I mean, I also try and put myself in there in the mindset of those who don't watch all these films, and they might be like huh, what does that mean? You know, I'm sure most people have watched all of them or most of them, but, you know, somebody just wanted to go and see Morbius because, hey, I'm into vampires. I'm going to go watch it. I have no prior knowledge of MC the MCU or Marvel or anything. They're going to be incredibly lost. And they're going to be like, how? The and it doesn't make, and it doesn't even make for a standalone film. I mean, I get it. It's part of the bigger picture. But it was so clumsy, made zero sense. Like you pointed out, Kelly, where the hell did uh, did Adrian get his armor? Why is Morbius teaming up with him? And I guess, hopefully, in about a month's time, some of our questions will be answered with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Hopefully. But that's that movie has a lot of answers to give us, if that's supposed to be the one that answers all the questions. Probably not. But um, I guess... I guess I'm used to the Marvel way of the post credits going. It always ties you into yeah, the bigger picture or the after before or after what's going on. Mm -hmm. It always makes sense. It's always within the rhythm of everything that's going on, and so you can kind of put two and two together. This particular scene, you you are left with a hundred thousand possibilities when when they walk off the screen, and I'm like. That was useless as far as I was concerned. I mean, I get that Sony's trying to do the Marvel thing and throw in the post-credit scene and give us something. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm just like, I don't understand where we just went with that. So I, I don't know. Well, I mean, we'll see. I, maybe, you know, if they give Andrew Garfield another shot at Spider-Man, which I hope they do, um, maybe this is his, his, his next, his third movie. Um, <laughs> you know, Could be. so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, as I said, uh, we'll see what um, what Doctor Strange brings us in about a month's time, or heck, even Ant-Man 3 Quantum Mania might have something to do with this. But right now, you know, we're kind of left hanging when it comes to this. So I guess we'll see if any of our questions are answered when it comes to that. So I guess then at this point, let's get to ratings then, gentlemen. Kelly, what do you give Morbius out of 10? Um, you know, I'll... I'll I'll be generous and give it um, um uh, I don't know I I'll give it about a seven and a half mm -hmm. um I am Venom's you know or something. <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> I like it. That's very fair. Um, I also, I had to uh, ask you something else here. What kind of rating in the sense that this film had? Was it, was it a PG? Because I'm sure it wasn't an R rating over there, was it? Do no, you know? I, I would have to look. I think it's a PG-13. There's no nudity. Mm -hmm. The violence is... The violence is not, it's not stupid, bloody, gory, like you would think um, for a vampire movie. So, um, yeah, I think it was a PG-13 movie. I honestly do. I'd have to look. Mm. No, I was, I, in fact, I was wondering, because we do get some blood here and there, but like you said, there's nothing too graphic. I mean, and there are a few F-bombs here and there as well, which made me wonder. So, uh, but... Um, uh, you got to keep in mind, Nick, I'm sold. I don't pay attention to the ratings anymore. I just go to the movies. I'm not 17, so... Right, of course, and, <laughs> and and you're not bringing you know underage kids to the to right. this film, so so that that that's, that that makes sense, totally, totally. And uh, uh, Devin, what do you give this film? Well, I'm I'm gonna evaluate it in this sense. Um, I'm gonna say if you want a casual, um, superhero movie that you can take uh, a date to, mm -hmm. um, and you both can kind of enjoy it, and eh, five and a half. Hmm. Yeah, about that. Oh wow! Um, so it doesn't get a passing grade. <laughs> no, I uh, you know I just think that there's too many things in the film that you know they don't really brush up on. They don't really tell the audience what's going on, and, and I didn't care for like the ending of the film. Right. Um, you know I think they should do another film, honestly, and you know key people in on what's going on, not just act like we're dumb, you know. Um. I would also like to see maybe a video game out of this or maybe even a uh, old fashioned pinball machine game. Um, and I do think that Michael Morbius and Blade should be like uh, a duo and they should just take out people. That would and, have been. Go ahead. And then I also would say throw the Punisher in there, too. <laughs> I dig that more than I dig the mid-credit scenes we got. Would have been kind of cool if we had had had, had Mahershala Ali actually appear in the mid-credit scenes. That would have possibly made more sense. I might have enjoyed that more because of the worlds they inhabit. Because for so far, we've only had one appearance vocally by Mahershala Ali's Blade, and uh, so I'm kind of waiting to see when we'll see him in full. Uh, Blade, should we say the physical appearance of, of Mahershala as uh, as Blade? So I guess that remains to be seen. But yeah, I uh, it looks like Kelly and I are in sync on this one because I'm also going to give it seven and a half out of ten. I will buy the Blu-ray when it comes out because I do want to rewatch it, you know, uh, again just to see what else there might be that I might have missed or or anything like that. And plus, I guess because I am a completist and so I like to have all my all my superhero movies at least when it comes to the, the recent ones in on in physical media so i will be picking this one up um but yeah it was the visuals were good as i mentioned before the story was decent but i think you need better writers next time because the ending just was way too abrupt some of the characters were underdeveloped but uh, all in all as i mentioned before it has potential so i'm hoping they will pick from take from that potential it's like a promising rookie in a in a sport who can become a contender but you have to um, train him right and put him in the right position to to contend and be and reach his his top form so that's what i'm hoping they will do when it comes to rookie michael morbius i guess it remains to be seen but seven out of ten for me so let's get to recommendations then um Devin, what what would you like to recommend when it comes to uh to anything else morbius related or you know periphery to this 
Well, I would go back to Spider-Man, the animated series <clears throat> mm-hmm. from the 90s because Michael Morbius is in it. And you really get kind of a background story a little bit more on the character and his love interest. And um, yeah, I, I find that a little bit more interesting uh, than this movie was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I would say that like, if you are a fan of Blade, definitely check the Blade movies out and the comic books. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is Vampire Hunter D, like I, I've said this before, is a great movie. And I think that, you know, if you're a vampire fan, check that out. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's good things out there. They very much are for sure. And uh, Kelly, did you have anything you would like to recommend? Um, I just go back. Morbius makes quite a few appearances in Spider-Man um, early on. He makes quite a few appearances in Doctor Strange. Um, you get a little more of his origin story. Um, you'll also find that uh, Morbius in the comics is driven more a lot sometimes more by survival than he is by anything else. Um, there's you know several encounters with him and, and Blade in the comics and, and a few other things. So um, obviously Blade doesn't kill him because he's right. still around. So uh, you know I, check it out. I mean they painted him more as an antihero. He was more of a villain very early on in his career in the comics. And and I think if you go and read the um, the comic books, and then, you know, you go back and think about the movie or you go and watch the movie. Um, I think that you'll find some, some discrepancies, but I mean, it, you know, again, it's, it's, it's an entertainment thing and you take what you get sometimes and you just make good of it. But yeah, um, just definitely check out his early appearances in Spider-Man and his early appearances in Dr. Strange. And I think you'll get more of a appreciation for Morbius, the living vampire. Fantastic. And to add to those great recommendations, folks, if you do want to watch some really good vampire films, if you haven't watched them already, I will strongly recommend Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, which you will probably notice that Gary Oldman, the way he plays Dracula is kind of similar in looks to the to Jared Leto's Morbius. So if you dig that kind of long haired uh, kind of uh, uh, handsome vampire you'll probably get some enjoyment from uh, from francis ford coppola's dracula and also if you want to see where it all began go back and watch more now's nosferatu i know it's in black and white and i know it's silent folks but oh, you must, but it still holds up to this day it's still one of the creepiest vampire movies i have ever seen so it's it's out there on the on the interweb so uh Definitely check out uh, check out uh, more now's Nosferatu for sure. You know, there's uh, there's one thing I wanted to quickly uh, go for go for it. Actually, did you know that there's a Nosferatu video game for Super Nintendo? Oh, I did not. And it's fun. I've played it before. It is very very fun. Aha! Uh-huh. Well, uh, I definitely will have to check that out because my uh, encounters with vampires, video game wise, has always been, of course, the Castlevania franchise, which I love to death. And of course, you should try Legacy of Cain. Blood on Ooh, it. I'll have to check that out too. There's another one to add to the list. Yeah, because uh, if it's in the vein of kind of Castlevania, I'll definitely have to check that out for sure because I love those games so much. As much as I love the recent anime on Netflix, which I thought was brilliant. So. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess there's another recommendation for you, folks. Uh, if you want to see vampires doing all sorts of crazy things and a little bit also graphic as well, 
check out the uh, the Castlevania anime on Netflix because absolutely brilliant, brilliant stuff. So that's our movie. And of course, if you want to be like a Kelly and Devin and join us here on the movies we discuss or would like to obviously share your thoughts in writing, you can do so by hitting us up at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. Big thank you to Kelly for spreading the word about the podcast. We really appreciate him doing that. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on Patreon. There you'll be able to pick films to go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies or films inspired by comics like Road to Perdition or I Kill Giants or Death Note, or even films which inspired comics such as the Terminator franchise, the Alien franchise, and more. Check all that out and join our army of patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. So, Kelly, when you're not here discussing Morbius and other films akin to it, where can folks find you? Well, you can find me at the Veterans Forum on Facebook now that I'm unbanned after six months. Um, Freedom! And then, uh, Yay! <laughs> and then, uh, obviously, the band page, Something Like Yesterday, on Facebook. Um, you can find our music on Reverb Nation under the band Something Like Yesterday. Um, you can find me hanging out with disgruntled vets um, from time to time and uh, a few other odds and ends places. I'm just everywhere you expect me to be, and sometimes places you don't. So, uh, you know... I'm around. I'm on the interwebs. You can't miss me. So uh, I have, you know, for some reason I have this unique name. And when you Google me, I come up that or the play Pippin comes up or, you know, references to hobbits, which I'm fond of. So, you know, hey, it's not so bad. (laughs) Yeah, just check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, indeed, folks. Uh, Kelly is quite the multiverse hopper himself. So you'll find him in all all, all shapes, forms and sizes. Indeed. And uh, Devin, where can folks find you? Well, um, I'm on 502 Fallen Angel Radio Station. I co-host the morning show. I'm an independent rapper. And um, I also have YouTube, Devin Drizzle Smith. I'm going to start opening up that a little bit more. I'm going to start reviewing movies again. The first one is actually the new Batman movie. Um, And after that, I'm going to start uploading some music, kind of giving some people more information on where I'm going to be able to put my music out there for people to get it. Uh, I was working on Bandcamp, actually. Um, and uh, going to be reaching out to Greg, actually, a little bit about the acting thing. Awesome. Um, and kind of exploring my options right now, professionally. So, uh-huh. Well, I do believe that Greg will be listening to this episode. So, Greg, be prepared to get a knock on your door from Devin Smith in the near future. And uh, when yeah. it comes <laughs> when it comes to me, folks, for you country music lovers, I do host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's Ooh. country, traditional country. Thank you, Kelly, and everything else in between. For more about that, visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast wise, if superhero movie, if superhero movies, if best picture winners are your speed, you can find myself zan sprouse and rachel friend reviewing all the best picture winners in chronological order on gold standard the oscars podcast next week we're actually on our way to yo-yo land as we will be reviewing one flew over the cuckoo's nest and uh, if a superhero tv shows are your speed uh, myself and charles skaggs can be found on the fandom zone where we're currently reviewing the first season of moon knight and uh, 
if uh, if instead you're fans of Titans or Doom Patrol, you can find Charles and I reviewing the latest seasons of Titans and Doom Patrol on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast. And speed things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 1990 Albert Pyun film, Captain America. That should be a fun one. That said, when it comes to you, Kelly, and when it comes to you, Devin, thank you both again so much for joining me. It was a blast, and definitely look forward to having you both back very soon. Definitely a pleasure, my friend, as always. Yeah, yep, yep, I, I agree, and um, I would like to be a part of the Captain America review, actually. Very well. Well, then, if Devin, Devin's feeling brave enough to discuss uh, that, that movie with us, so actually, I had to mention, we'll be joined by Holly McMiller, who actually picked that film, so we'll be interested to see how things go with that. So, that said, of course, folks, uh, thank you, but as always, for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Captain America. Until then, stay super. Ciao.